everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Well, welcome back to the Make Life Matter podcast. I am so honored today to have as my special guest, Hal Donaldson. He is the president of Convoy of Hope, a faith-based nonprofit organization that leads humanitarian initiatives across the United States and around the world. Through Convoy of Hope, families receive supplies and resources through community outreaches, international children's feeding programs, job training for mothers, agricultural initiatives, and disaster relief. Hal served as editor-in-chief of the Evangel Magazine for 13 years. He's an award-winning journalist and speaker. He's authored more than 30 books, including Disruptive Compassion, Becoming the Revolutionary You Were Born to Be, and Your Next 24 Hours, One Day of Kindness Can Change Everything. His awards include the National Distinguished Service Award in Social Welfare, Alumnus of the Year at Bethany University, and 2017 inductee into the Missouri Public Affairs Hall of Fame. He and his wife, Dory, have four daughters, Lindsay, Aaron Ray, Lauren, and Haley. Welcome to the program, Hal. I'm so honored to have you today. Great to be with you, Angela. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, we were chatting in, in kind of our pre-show that we, you know, my family, we've been probably family friends, although you and I have never really officially met until today. Uh, you knew my father-in-law, Pat Donatio. You know my parents there in Springfield. So we go way back, you could say. We do. And you have quite a heritage. I mean, your parents and the Donatios, those are amazing people. Heroes of the faith, really. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. In fact, I didn't even tell you this earlier, but they were out here visiting and we went to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. I took my parents to tour it. And there was an exhibit that talked about Convoy of Hope there. And my dad took pictures with it and he was thrilled. And he's loved being a part of the ministry that Convoy of Hope has has been a part of all over the world. So I want to talk about Convoy of Hope, but you have such a riveting personal story. And I would love to just introduce you. Maybe there's someone who still has yet to hear about Convoy of Hope um, that that's hearing today. And, and they're going to be introduced that in just a moment, but I'd love them just to know you and, and your background, Hal. Thank you so much. Well, my story really comes back, goes all the way back to when I was 12 years of age and my, um, uh, my parents had gone to a business meeting and that night uh, they were hit head on by a drunk driver mm-hmm. and my dad was killed instantly. My mom was seriously injured in the car and she couldn't work for quite some time. And um, um, the police came to our house and to tell us what had happened and a number of neighbors gathered in front of our house and the police officer stepped up to the porch and he addressed the crowd and he said, are there any family members or friends here tonight who are willing to take the children, four children home with them. Hmm. And um, honestly, Angela, for just a moment, no one responded. Hmm. And the police officer said, well, we'll we'll have to take them downtown to the station. And uh, then a young couple raised their hands and they said, we'll take them. And uh, Bill and Levada Davis, um, they allowed us to live with them. All they had was a a trailer. They lived in a trailer park. Uh, 10 of us lived in a trailer uh, for a year. And, um, you know, so I tell people that our family experienced the, the pain, the shame of poverty, but we also experienced the power of kindness 
because mm-hmm. these people wrap their arms around us. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, uh, the man who hit my parents didn't have insurance. My parents didn't have insurance. My dad was the, the pastor of a very small church. And uh, so our family was forced to survive on welfare um, and the, the kindness of others. People would come to our door with bags of groceries. Um, uh, one story real quick. Uh, I remember going to church and a woman saw that I had holes in my shoes. And she, she went to my mom and she said, can I take how to a shoe store to get some new shoes. And um, back then, um, there there was a place called Kenny's Shoes. And Kenny's had um, offered three pairs of tennis shoes, one for $2.99, $3.99, and $4.99. Oh, how things have changed, right? Wow. <laughs> and uh, when I walked in the store, I needed, you know, obviously, I, I made a beeline to the $2.99 pair. That's all I'd ever known. But this particular day, she waved me over to the four ninety nine pair, mm. and she said, "No, how today you're going to get the best they have." Mm. And I have to tell you that Monday, I walked onto that school, that high school campus, and I felt like a million bucks for the first time in my life. I was wearing the rich kid shoes. Mm. Um, so yeah, experienced a lot of poverty, but a lot of kindness too, Angela. And it's, it's evident that that framed, I'm sure, the trajectory of your life moving forward. How do you think that shaped what eventually became the ministry of Convoy of Hope? Where was that birthed in your heart? Yeah, you know, when you are raised poor, um, you begin a quest not to be poor anymore. Hmm. And that certainly was me as a teenager and as a college student. I was going to do everything in my power to claw my way out of poverty. And um, I just didn't want to be poor anymore. Um, I, um, I went to college, got two degrees. Um, I began writing books in my early 20s. Um, you know, God opened some doors and I began writing books. One of the contracts that I got was to go uh, write some books for Mark and Hulda Bentain, missionaries in Calcutta, India. Your family certainly knows who they are. And when I arrived, uh, Mark and Hulda said, there's someone we want you to interview for our book. And they took me over to meet Mother Teresa. Hmm. And um, so I'm in the interview with Mother Teresa. And all of a sudden, she just stopped. And she said, young man, let me ask you a question. What are you doing to help the poor and the suffering? And it wasn't, it wasn't accusative. It wasn't trying to condemn me. She just was asking a, a very simple question. What are you doing? And I figured it was not a good idea to lie to her. <laughs> I told her the truth. I said, I'm really not doing much of anything. And she said, everyone can do something. Hmm. Everyone can do something. Those words were haunting for me. Um, I uh, had spent several weeks with the Buntains um, in the trenches, helping the poor, the suffering, uh, learning, observing, when I came back to the States, I just felt compelled to do something. I had to do something kind. And uh, I was living in Northern California at the time. I loaded up a pickup truck with $300 worth of groceries. And I went into a needy area in Northern California where the migrant farm workers work. And I just started passing out groceries to families that were poor. Hmm. That was the start of Convoy of Hope. Um, so, you know, I, I credit the Buntains. I credit Mother Teresa or speaking into my life. Um, another piece of it, Angela, is that I just, um, I think I was living more like a Pharisee than I was a follower of Jesus. Mm. Um, 
And um, I just, I was so consumed with myself. I was selfish rather than being selfless. I believe that compassion is one thing, but if you want to go beyond compassion, it's, you have to become selfless. And I certainly wasn't living a selfless life. And I felt like the Lord asked me to go to eight cities and to live in the streets for three days and three nights. So I went to Miami, Atlanta, Chicago, DC, New York, major cities, walked the streets with a hidden tape recorder, interviewing drug addicts and gang members, prostitutes, runaways, homeless people, and riding with the police some on the midnight shift in these cities. And God used that experience to change me. He broke me. And um, I just remember in the streets of Miami, it was raining. I was on a street corner by myself. And I literally lifted my hands and I just said, God, do what you need to do in my life. I, I just, uh, I don't want to keep living selfishly. And um, it was, it was that pickup truck experience. It was in the, going to these cities that really just changed me, made me a different person. Um, yeah. So that's some of the story anyway. Wow. Wow. I'm sure any one of those you could talk about for hours meeting mother Teresa. I didn't know that. That's amazing. That's extraordinary. And, and what a deeply impacting moment I'm sure that was. And, and how insightful of her to draw that out of you and wonder why even in that moment when God was using your journalistic skills, your writing abilities, that was kind of the preparation period that, that what you ended up spending your life doing was birthed out of. And then I didn't know about this tour. I'd heard about the tour of the cities. I'd love to know more about that. And how did that end up developing into what we now know as Convoy of Hope? Yeah, um, yeah I, I say it this way. I feel like God had to do a work in my heart before he could do a work through my hands. Oh, that's um, You know, the heart is the foundation upon which God builds something beautiful. And if the heart is flawed, he can only build so high. And um, the more stable that foundation is, uh, the more firm it is. Um, um, you're not placing a limit on what God can do through your life. And so, you know, God was doing a lot in my life. Um, I have so many experiences, so many hurting people. And what I learned after touring these eight cities was that despair, desperation was widespread. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't fully understand that or I didn't want to uh, understand it. Um, I was the guy that was always looking the other way. And I didn't want to confront the fact that uh, the United States is um, crumbling from within, that our inner cities are are, are war zones. And, um, you know, I think the Lord just maybe built a, or put a sense of urgency in me that I didn't have before. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of pain and people ask me, oh, well, you know, you see a lot of pain. How do you continue to keep marching forward with Convoy of Hope and with Jesus? When you see so much pain. Well, I think the, the point is, there are some questions that will not be answered until we get to heaven. Mm. And we have to be satisfied with that. We have to understand that that's the way it is. And we can't not allow unanswered questions to prevent us from doing things for God today. We can't be allow, allow ourselves to be paralyzed, if you will, because we can't answer every question. No, I think what God is asking us to do, just roll up our sleeves, get busy, let him work through us to transform the lives of people. And that's certainly what I've tried to do. There are a lot of things that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. Um, um, I don't understand why malnourished children die. 
I don't know why women are abused. I don't, a lot I don't get. Mm. Um, but I'll let that question wait until I get to heaven. Right now, we've got a job to do. And that's to represent Jesus in the hallways of power and in the villages of the poor. That's so powerful. You're speaking to a couple of kind of some of the underlying issues of why maybe people don't move out in compassion. One is, could be apathy, uh, selfish, selfishness, as you talked about a minute ago. If I don't, if I don't see it somehow, I can convince myself it's not there. Um, it can be feeling like, you know, it's never gonna get any better. I'm only one little tiny drop in a bucket. I remember my first trip to Africa. I've been maybe 20 times now. I felt so overwhelmed and the enemy can come in in that and make you feel like you're so insignificant. There's nothing you could do. But as you mentioned about mother Teresa, we can all do something and to zero in on the assignment that God has given us, the calling he's given us. How would you speak to, to those? I want to ask one question before that though. What time period was that, that you toured those eight cities? Do you remember what year that was? Yeah, I was about, uh, I was about 30, 31, 32 years of age. Um, so probably around 31. So that would, you know, be uh, 19. Um, let's see, my math is a good 1988 and 89. And even today, I'm sure as you see our inner cities, would you find the same condition? Would you find more deterioration in some of the areas? Or how, what, what would you speak to the changes that you've witnessed? Yeah, I think the cancer has grown. And it's now no longer isolated in the urban communities. It's also in the rural communities. Mm. Uh, I think meth, the, the meth um, epidemic in America has certainly contributed to that. Uh, poverty is widespread. Um, no matter where you live, no matter where you live, you're touched by poverty. Mm. And um, yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of people, Angela, that throw up their hands and say, whatever will be, will be. There's nothing I can do. But I just believe that doing something is always better than doing nothing. Always. So how do we move and how do we move past, past that place of maybe resignation? Oh, well, it's always going to be this way or I'm going to it's, yeah. it's like you said, the cancer is too far gone. How do you speak to that? I know you've written about compassion, disruptive compassion and kindness. So encourage us that are feeling maybe a bit paralyzed or for some of us coming out of this year of of the pandemic, maybe we're even experiencing compassion fatigue. We're barely keeping our own head above water, much less feeling the impulse to be able to reach out and, and, and meet the needs of others. Yeah. Uh, Jesus hasn't given up on the, on America or the world. Mm -hmm. so neither can we. Uh, it's a desperate situation. It is um, in rural and urban communities, but Jesus is still at work. And he's looking for people who will simply raise their hand and say, uh, Jesus, use me, use me. And, you know, what I, what I took on as my mantra, it's something Mother Teresa said um, back in my 30s. I said, okay, I'm going to do the next kind thing that Jesus puts in front of me, whatever that is. And uh, hopefully, Angela, I'll have that opportunity today. Even mm -hmm. I have had that opportunity today uh, with a phone call. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's not just giving money. It's, um, it's smiling at someone and giving them dignity. It's, uh, it's um, befriending someone who's lost a loved one. It's um, giving a comforting word to someone who's lost their job. It's sharing a meal with someone who doesn't have one. You know, uh, it, it's, it takes on many different looks, but I think we can all do something. And uh, Jesus wants to help people more than we do. Hmm. 
it, it, it reminds me as you're saying that this same sense of dignity that you felt walking over to that $4.99 pair of shoes yeah. is the way you are, you know, if I'm in Africa or even here in the United States, what can we do to lift others up? And, and that is that way of giving them dignity. And Jesus always did that. We see that modeled in him over and over and over in the way that he he handled women and the way he treated the poor, the indigent, the the sick the infirmed. And uh, we can't allow this sense of overwhelm to keep us from doing something in in the kingdom. What have you seen in this pandemic? How have you seen that shift, not only the ministry of Convoy of Hope, but maybe with your global lens with which you view the world? I'd love to know your just opinion about things over this past year. Yeah, I think there's an epidemic of loneliness that's only increased during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Um, but that's a great opportunity for followers of Jesus, great opportunity for the church to uh, befriend people. And um, I think we underestimate the power of friendship. We do. Um, befriend a neighbor, befriend an elderly person, uh, befriend a teenager, you know, um, that, uh, that can make the difference between where they, uh, where they spend eternity. With Convoy of Hope, um, you know, we, uh, when the pandemic hit um, in March of uh, 2020, we had a decision to make. We could circle the wagons and become very protective, or we could get busy and help as many people as we could. And uh, so we started with a goal of distributing 10 million meals, and um, we we let the word out to churches. And we had about 3,000 churches that said, we want to participate. We want to turn our parking lots into distribution centers. And so, um, we were able to distribute 200 million meals wow. in a very short period of time. And that continues even today, um, meeting needs. And so, you know, I, I tend to be an optimist as, as difficult as things are and discouraging as things are with the economy and the poverty, et cetera, et cetera. I have so much confidence in our savior mm-hmm. and his love for people that, um, I think this could be the church's greatest hour, um, and uh, as people, as the pandemic subsides, hopefully, and people come back to church, may it be a different church. May it be a church that looks at itself as more than a weekly meeting um, or worship service, but a seven, you know, twenty-four-seven church that is meeting needs throughout the week and truly becoming a mercy center. I agree. I hope that is the transition that we see. My husband and I have pastored now for almost 30 years, three decades out here outside of the Washington DC area. And I did, you know, uh, say one day on my social media posts that I don't believe this is the church's undoing. I believe it's the church's awakening, but it depends on our response to these situations and what we see. Do we continue to move and implode more inward and become more inward focused? Or as you said, are we going to grab a hold of this, pivotal and critical moment in history, unlike any that we've experienced in our lifetime and become more outward focused than we've, than we've ever experienced. Did you see a shift more to the United States in your ministry during the pandemic with the meals here at home rather than abroad? Yeah, I think this is one of the ways that the Lord had led is um, some years prior, we decided we were very intentional. We decided we were going to build up our, um, our international team uh, nationals. Um, all over the globe. And uh, we began training them, um, preparing them almost for a pandemic. We didn't know that's what we were preparing them for, Mm. but that's what we were. 
And so when this pandemic hit, uh, we didn't skip a beat. Uh, we, we feed 387,000 children every day. Well, that didn't skip a beat. Uh, we, we have trained thousands and thousands of mothers every year uh, in jobs training, helping them start their own businesses. That didn't stop. That continued. Uh, training all the farmers and families to grow their own food, thousands of them every year. That didn't stop. Uh, so for Convoy, I think the Lord prepared us for it. And uh, we give him the glory for that. Um, that would have been um, that would have been very difficult, quite frankly, for me personally, to know that we had 387,000 children in our care, but we couldn't care for them. Mm, that's amazing. I'm glad we could. I am too. It made me think of when Paul said the gospel is not chained. You know, he's sitting in chained. He's in a Roman prison. There were a million reasons he could have said, well, the work is done. And there's a lot of excuses and reasons and even legitimate things that we could say, but to push through and you say, I have the confidence in my savior to, to, to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. I would love to know about a, a couple of maybe your most, I hate to say favorite, but maybe your most memorable moments throughout the years in crusades and, and your experiences with convoy of hope, maybe a miracle that you witnessed or a, uh, 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 it could be just a single person, but what really, when you look back, what are those stories that lift to the surface for you? There, there are so many, as you can imagine, so many. Um, I've traveled to 80 plus countries and done compassion work. And, you know, that, uh, that has an effect on you and you have so many stories, but I'll share two. Um, we were about a year into being very discouraged. We had given everything we could. We were, um, we were tired. Um, and we did not feel that um, people were jumping on board. Mm. Uh, and I think maybe even at times feeling patronized, uh, you know, they would pat you on the back, but then they would talk behind your back. Uh, they would claim that this is the social gospel and uh, they wouldn't get behind you. Um, and so I, I, my wife and I prayed and I just said, okay, um, Dory, um, by the time of the Fresno community outreach in Northern California, if God doesn't show us that he's with us. If he doesn't perform a miracle, we're going to give up and we're going to pass this baton on to someone else and we'll go do something else. Hmm. At that particular outreach, um, Angela, there were probably 4,000 people there. Uh, many came to Christ, but inside the turmoil was great because I just knew we could not keep going. At that outreach, a man came up and a complete stranger came up to me and he handed me an envelope and inside was a check for $25,000. Oh, wow. Now for a couple that couldn't, didn't have two nickels to rub together, that was a big deal. But then inside was a note and it, it said this, uh, keep going. God is with you. And the word is was underlined and capitalized. Keep going. God is with you. Hmm. Um, we, we've never looked back from that moment, Wow! but we almost gave up. Mm. Well, fast forward, um, you know, Convoy of Hope is becoming uh, more substantial and, um, we had begun feeding children. And I think at the time, maybe we were feeding about 20,000 children. I was in Kenya and I was at one of the feeding stations, a school where we're feeding a thousand children every day. Mm. And, um, I'm standing there watching these children be fed, be fed. They all had uniforms, um, new shoes that we'd provided. They're all being educated. They're all being fed. They're, they're healthy. Um, 
As I walked into the schoolyard, I saw dozens of eyes peering at me from outside the fence, through the fence. These were the kids that weren't part of the program. These were the kids who were scavenging off of garbage heaps, begging in the streets, sniffing glue to take away their hunger. And um, it just broke me. I just said, God, 20,000 isn't enough. Mm. It's just not enough. You got to give us the capacity to do more. Mm. And when I got serious, when I got really serious with God, I feel like God began to open up heaven and pour resources upon us to meet the needs of these children. And like I said, every year since then, it's grown significantly. And we're on a quest. We're going to feed a million children every day. Wow. That's where we're headed. And every year we're adding like 30, 40, 50,000 children. But uh, by the year 2030, we'll be feeding a million children every day. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing those stories. I can hear the compassion that made me think of when Jesus stood up on the top of the Mount of Olives, looked over the city of Jerusalem, and he wept with compassion. So we can call it a you know, the critics can call it a social gospel if they want to, but there is a distinct element of the compassion of Jesus and the way that he ministered to people and the way that we are called to minister to people. And uh, it was evident in his earthly ministry. And it's evident in the way that he calls us to love, to minister, to reach the unreached, to reach the forgotten yes. and to give dignity, to bestow dignity. I remember one of my first trips to Africa, I went to a village to meet the family of a pastor. I had met at a kid's camp. And uh, this pastor said, I need you to meet my, 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 my brother. He's an animist. And I remember feeling so nervous and not really even understanding the culture of Africa yet at that time, and maybe feeling ill-prepared and up to the task. And so we, we brought a team and that team was coming um, a little bit later than me. And I said, can you bring baby clothes in your suitcases? I can't fit them all in what I need to bring. And this brother had multiple wives, Hal, because of his polygamy views there in northern Ghana. And the approach I took is his latest wife had a set of twins. She could barely feed them, didn't have even the resources to stay nourished enough to provide what these infants needed. And we showed up with a suitcase or a couple suitcases full of clothing wow. and, and blankets and shoes. And and that's a small gesture, but what that did in that man's heart is to say, you, you care about my need. And that opened the door for me to be able to share the gospel. And right. out of that, he understood, listen, this is a change of heart. Just like Jesus reached down in the dirt to Mary Magdalene and said, now go and don't sin anymore, but I'm going to first show you the mercy and the compassion. Um, and, and it's so important that we model that. So thank you for those stories. They're they're necessary for us to get those, that level of compassion. Like you said, when I got serious about God, then he made a way. I know there's people listening, Hal, and we're going to wrap up in just a moment, but how can they be a part of feeding the million children? I want to be a part of that. I know other listeners in over a hundred countries that are listening, how can they sow into the ministry of Convoy Hope and, 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 and say yes, the way that you have said, has said yes to the Lord. Well, thank you for that question, Angela. And one of the things I really encourage people to do is to support the compassion efforts of their local church. Uh, I really believe that's where it begins. And, um, and uh, so start there. But if you have some left over and you want to uh, participate in helping us feed more children uh, and help us get to the million children goal, um, 
it's just convoyofhope.org. Uh, go to the website, and um, uh, that'll give you a lot of details on the things that we uh, that we're involved in. And uh, we do believe internationally that it's imperative that we have children's feeding, women's empowerment, and the agriculture initiative all working together in communities because we've seen how they can lift communities and really enable Convoy of Hope to go to another community uh, once we know that they're operational and, and they're healthy. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, convoyofhope.org. Absolutely. And, and I work a lot with women in Africa and pastors' wives, empowering them through microenterprise. So I personally want to become more involved in what you're doing to empower women. So whatever is, is kind of burning as your heart as you're listening, whether it's feeding children, whether it's in, partner with women. And, and, you know, we are going to come out of this pandemic and disasters, sadly, will continue. The work of Convoy of Hope will continue in a myriad of ways. So we, we are grateful to partner with you and, and the work that God is doing in and through you. I would like for you to pray over our listeners in just a moment, Hal, but I love to kind of close my interviews by asking my guests when we get to heaven, other than, I, I'm saying this question and I'm thinking you're going to have a long line of people who want to interview you, my friend, but uh, other than Jesus, who are you in, what character in the Bible, what person in the Bible are you looking forward to meeting and maybe why, or is there something you want to ask them when you meet them? Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've always, since I was a kid, I I've always, um, uh, I've always thought of Moses. And the reason is that he was, he was walking a path that others hadn't walked hmm. and um, he found himself in a leadership position and he uh, was a reluctant leader. Um, and, you know, I think God specializes in using reluctant leaders. Uh, I, I consider myself a reluctant leader. Mm-hmm. I'm the last person who should be leading a, um, a transportation company, if you will, a fleet of semis and warehouses around the world. I'm the last person that uh, would have been chosen for that. But, um, you know, I, I guess I've always kind of had felt akin to that particular character. And because uh, we know he had doubts, and I certainly have had my share of doubts and mm-hmm. challenges, but God has always come through. Mm. Thank you, Hal. So powerful. Thank you for all that you've shared and lending your your voice, not only in our generation, but to the podcast. And millions and millions are grateful for your obedience. And it's also another testimony to see how God can transform pain into purpose. I've seen that in my own life. I believe that so strongly. And you've seen the pain that even you endured as a teenager even into your young adult years, how the way God, and when we allow him, the way God can transform even our pain into purpose. So if you're listening today, you're going through a painful season, maybe you're coming out of this pandemic, it's been, it's been lonely, it's been difficult. I believe and pray that Hal's story and his ministry will inspire us to let God use us, even when we're reluctant, to let God use us in powerful ways. So thank you, Hal. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And I'd love to invite you to pray over our listeners as we close. Well, thank you again for giving me the opportunity to share today and be on the podcast. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you have done. You are not an impotent God. You are a powerful God. And you see the needs that are represented on this podcast. People that are listening right now, you see every need. You see every cupboard that's empty. You see every lost job. You see every relationship problem. You see it all. You see health crises as well. You see it all. Let people know today that you are not distracted, but you are attentive and you are with them. They are not alone. You are with them and you want to work through them to make a difference in the lives of other people. 
They are not to be put on the shelf. Let them know that today. They are not to be put on the shelf. They are to be used to transform other people's lives and to bless others as you bless them. Lord, we just continue to pray for this podcast, pray for Angela and her husband, the work that they do, and just pray a special blessing upon everything they touch. In your precious name, amen. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Season two is sponsored in part by Worley Dahlberg Yao PLLC. You can learn more about this award-winning law firm at lawfirmvirginia.com. I'd love to stay connected, so be sure to visit angeladonadio.com for books, free goodies, and opportunities to feature your ministry or business as a sponsor. Find me on Facebook at Angela Donadio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donadio, where we do podcast giveaways each month. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's make life matter.